can start off with a question today. Who helped you get to where you are today? You might be thinking about one of your favorite teachers, perhaps a parent, a pastor, a small group leader, a coach. Who helped you get to where you are today? It's easy to think about our own accomplishments and pat ourselves on the back and say, man, I crushed that exam. Man, I am so good at my job. That presentation nailed it. But we're standing on the shoulders who have gone, of the people who have gone before us. Who helped you get to where you are today? For many of us, we probably have a few faces, a few names come to mind. For myself, I certainly think about my parents. But if there's one face that jumps to my mind, it's my junior high youth pastor, Fop. His full name is Clinton Foppel, but we called him Fop. And I don't know what he saw in me. I don't know how he found me. I don't know why he took the time, but he spent a lot of time with me. You see, I grew up in a, a wonderful Christian family, and to the best of my knowledge, we never missed Sunday morning except the one time it fell on New Year's Day. We were there every single week, and I can assure you, because of how terrible of a kid I was, my kids' teachers hated it. They probably wished I would have missed a couple more times. There's a number of transitions in life. There's a transition when you graduate high school and you go into college or um, start a brand new job. There's that transition of getting married, transition of having kids for the first time. And it almost sounds like I'm setting this up as a joke, but I'm not. One of the transitions we often overlook is that transition from grade six to grade seven. This stat blew my mind. More people stop coming to church between grade six and grade seven than between grade 12 and university. More kids stop coming to church between grade 6 and grade 7 than between grade 12 and university. And if you think about it, it makes sense. Junior high is crazy. It's tough. It's difficult. It's a brand new school. It's a brand new idea. It's brand new friends. And there's some challenges. And so I arrive in grade 7, and I continue to come to church on Sunday mornings because my parents made me. But then I found out they also meet on Tuesdays, and they also meet on Fridays, and I think, mm, no thanks. I can play video games. I can play street hockey with my buddies. I can go to soccer practice. Church once a week is enough. And for some reason, this young youth pastor who was 20, 21, 22 years old took an interest in me, and I have no idea why. And so he said to my mom, hey, can I come over to your house every week for three, four, five months, and I'm going to drive the half hour from the west end to the half hour to the north end, and I want to spend some time with Dave. And so we did. Every week for about half of a school year, he came over to my house. And he spent the first half hour, 45 minutes, walking through a passage of scripture. In the next half hour, 45 minutes, I annihilated him in ping pong or video games, his choice. And then my mom fed him some supper. I don't know why he did this. But I can say to you, without a shadow of a doubt, I would not be here if it wasn't for Fob. He spent time with me. He answered my questions. He eventually invited me to be part of his small group on Tuesday nights. And because that relationship had been developed, I said, absolutely, I'd love to come. And it transformed my life. He continued to stretch me. He continued to challenge me. He continued to give me opportunities to grow and to flourish. And in grade nine, he baptized me. And I still remember what took place. It's interesting because I don't really remember what he taught me but I absolutely remember that relationship. What about you? 
Who helped you get to where you are today? Who loved you enough to take an interest in your life? Who saw something special in you and said, I want to build into you? Who did you meet with on a regular basis to help you grow and to flourish so that you are the person that you are today? Who can you be that person for? If you have your Bibles with you or have a smartphone and you want to follow along on your device, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. If you're uh, new to church, you can absolutely download that. It's completely free on your smartphone. Uh, the big numbers are the chapter numbers. The small numbers are the verse numbers. We're in Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. And here's what's happening in the book of Philippians so far. The Philippian church is a little bit divided in its mission. The leadership of the church is fighting on which direction they should go. So it means everybody in the church is fighting about, well, who should we follow and which direction do we think is best? Over the last couple of weeks, Pastor Mel has walked us through the first two passages in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians uh, 2, 1 to 11 is this beautiful, um, uh, often referred to as the Christ hymn. It's a story of who Jesus is and what he has done. And he says to the Philippian church, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. This is incredibly powerful. Here is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, sitting with his Father in heaven, enjoying a perfect, absolutely flawless relationship. And they look at one another and they said, you know what would make this even better? Is if humanity could have this relationship with us. And Jesus says, I'll go. I'll go down to earth. I'll go on a rescue mission. He doesn't give up any of his divinity. He doesn't stop being God. But he remains fully God and he takes on humanity. And he comes down and is the perfect example of what it means to be a follower of God. Then Paul, in that second passage, what we looked at last week, looks at us and says, okay, Philippian church, okay, Ellerslie, you do the same. Your attitude should be exactly like Jesus. And I'm thinking about this this past week in my office. I'm like, it was a bunch of Greeks. So what am I supposed to do? Beat Hercules in an arm wrestle and then be identical to Jesus? That seems like a rather big challenge. But then he does something interesting. And he introduces us to two people who do exude what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is the entire passage this morning, Philippians 2, 19 to 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad that I may and I may have less anxiety. Welcome in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help that you could not give me. If you were following along and thought to yourself, I'm not exactly sure what Paul just said, I totally am on the same page as you. 
I spent a considerable amount of time with a Bible in front of me, and usually I'll have two to three pages of notes just looking at my Bible. I had four or five bullet points. That was it. So I opened a commentary, and this is what the commentator says. Here we have a paragraph that does not contain any direct teaching. So for the next 30 minutes, I'm just going to talk to you about whatever I want. Just had my three-year anniversary, and I've got some things to say. This might not be in real academic, theologically intense passage, but it goes after your heart. And so here's what I want to do. Over the next half an hour, I'm going to bring up five ideas, five applications, and I'm going to encourage you, I'm going to challenge you to choose three of them. If you want to be an overachiever, great, do all five. But I want to challenge you to do three of the five things that I'm about to share. Here's the first one, if you like taking notes. Find a mentor. If you take another look at the opening verse in verse 19, it says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you so that I I too may be cheered by the news of you. Paul is the first century matchmaker. He's the e-harmony of spiritual guidance. If this was Tinder, you'd be flicking through and go, Timothy, seems like a good guy. Paul gets a lot of love and rightly so, but Timothy should not be overlooked. He's mentioned more than two dozen times in the New Testament. He travels extensively with Paul in his mission work. And listen to this. He has served in six different churches, a half dozen times in Berea, Macedonia, Corinth, Ephesus, Thessalonica, and here in Philippi. And what the apostle Paul does is he either works with Timothy in a place and says, Timothy, this church still needs you. I'm going to carry on, you stay back. And he leads the church for a time. Or he'll be traveling with Paul, and Paul will say, you go on ahead to that next church, because they need your guidance. They need a mentor. Why would Paul do this? Look at verses 20 to 22. He says, I have no one like him. He's genuinely concerned about your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not the interest of Jesus. It's not like mentoring is a foreign idea to most of us. You've probably heard the term before. Most of us have financial planners. Some of us might go to the gym and have a fitness instructor. Perhaps you've got some tutoring for yourself or tutoring for your kids so they would do better at school. Maybe even on a brand new job site, they pair you up with a more experienced coworker so that you would learn the ropes quickly. While it's not exactly mentoring, did you know that life coaching has exploded over the last 10 years? It is now a multi-billion dollar industry, and here's why. Significantly more than 90%, most estimates between 95 and 99% of people say life coaching has transformed my life. So with this in mind, think about this. Who in this room do you look at and admire? Who in this church do you think, wow, they've got an excellent marriage. I know they've wrestled and overcome with the same challenges I have, and I'd love to know how they did that. Man, I see their kids, and they are excellent. Can you talk to me about how you parent your children? How do you bring Jesus into all of life? How do you balance work and home and church and everything that goes along with it? There's people who have gone before you, who are further along in their journey, who would be happy to sit down with you over coffee, over a meal, 
Or maybe you have them over to your home and say, can you tell me about how you're doing this? I love this quote by John Maxwell. One of the greatest values of mentors is the ability to see ahead what others cannot see and to help them navigate a course to their destination. The Philippians are a church that continue to put their needs at the forefront, which has caused this great schism between them. And remember what Paul says about Timothy to that church. They all seek their own interests, not the interests of Jesus. Paul sees their limits, and he wants to break through. So as you look at your own life, where would you love to grow? Perhaps you say, man, I want to be a better student. I need to grow in leadership. I know my wife deserves a better husband. I know I can be a better small group leader. Where is it that you want to grow, and how can we make that happen? You see, I often stop and I think how incredible the church is. I've already said to look around you, but look around you again. Different ages, different nationalities, different backgrounds, different socioeconomics, different experiences, and yet we all come together to learn and worship Jesus and to recognize there's something special here. In my own personal life, I've had mentors answer difficult questions. I've had interior designers give me ideas for my house. I've had friends give me advice and parenting tips. I've had contractors look at me and say, this guy needs all the help he can get. We should probably build his deck so he doesn't die. I'm grateful for all these people. So a couple words. Don't just go up to somebody and ask them to be your mentor. If there's somebody you really appreciate, if there's somebody you look at, go up to them and say, hey, can I take you out for coffee? Have a couple of questions ready so that the conversation does move somewhere quickly. And see where that conversation goes. If there's chemistry, if it seems like the two of you are having a good time, then you can say, hey, can we do this again? Maybe we can meet monthly or quarterly or something like that because I think you have so much to teach me. A word to prospective mentors, if somebody approaches you, try to say yes. If you say, like, I'm just so busy, my plate is too full, I just can't do it right now, that's okay. Explain that to them and maybe point them towards somebody else. Or say, see how serious they really are. I am available. Thursday morning, 6 a.m., meet me there. See how bad they really want it. You might know where I'm going next. Find a mentor, find a protege. Each of the four Gospels, which are the accounts of Jesus' life and ministry, have a variation of something called the Great Commission, and this is what it says. Go and make disciples, says Jesus, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. I think it's safe to say that Jesus lived out the walk. Early on in his ministry, he handpicked 12 disciples. He was walking along the Sea of Galilee and saw some people fishing in the sea, and he said to them, come. Stop what you're doing and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. On that same day after two of those people dropped everything, he went to a couple more guys and he said the exact same thing. And suddenly this band of merry men began to follow Jesus. The apostle Paul, wherever he went, made disciples. I think this is so great. He would go to a place, whether it was Ephesus or Corinth or Thessalonica or Philippi, and he would grab a small group of people. He might be there for a few months, he might be there for a couple of years, and he would build into these men and women because he would say, eventually I'm going to leave, and you are going to lead this church. One of the things I'm so impressed with our young staff, you may or may not be aware, um, five of our key staff are all in their 20s, youth, 
children's, young adult worship, all in their 20s, and they're living this out. David, who oversees our young adults, was meeting with another young adult every week this summer, mentoring him, working with him. It was beautiful. Colton, our worship director, who you saw on the platform here a few minutes ago, he teaches music lessons to people during the week. I think that's fantastic. For Kyle and Gabe, who oversee our youth ministry, they have an ambitious goal of meeting with every single one of their youth leaders between September and Christmas to build into them, as well as meeting with our youth one-on-one. Not every one of them, they can't do quite that, but to show their love and they care. Kelsey, our children's director, this is fantastic. She spoke at our camp, Lone Prairie Camp, uh, this past summer. She brought two girls with her so that they could minister with her and see her in action. What about you? If you aren't already mentoring someone, will you consider it? Will you consider engaging in a life-changing relationship that will impact you and the person you're building into? Take another look at verse 22. You know Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Timothy is not literally Paul's son, but it feels like it. You might be thinking, Dave, I have no clue how to mentor somebody. That's a big ask. Here's how it worked in the first century. Men would often raise their boys, and the boys would become the same, uh, work in the same occupation as dad did. If dad was a farmer, the son became a farmer. If dad was a baker, the son became a baker. That's just how the first century worked. So from a very young age, the son would follow his dad and go to work with him, whether it was the farm or the bakery or the shop or whatever it might be. And dad would teach him the tricks of the trade. It's the same thing when you're mentoring somebody. This is how I treat my spouse. This is how I raise my kids. This is how I bring Jesus into the workplace. This is how I read my Bible. This is how I serve in the community. I love what Bob Proctor says. A mentor is someone who sees more talent and ability within you than you see in yourself and helps bring it out of you. Let's flip the tables again for a moment. If someone comes up to you out of the blue and asked to mentor you. Think about the incredible privilege that is. How many times when you talk to somebody do they just say, oh man, I'm so busy. If somebody were to come up to you and say, hey, I'd like to mentor you, I'd like to build into your life, what an incredible value they are seeing in you. They're saying, I'm going to put aside my own interests and my own desires because I believe you're worth it. I believe it's worth my time, my effort, and my energy to see you grow and to flourish into who God has called you to be. That's incredible. That's gospel partnership. That's seeing the good news of Jesus continue to spread and multiply. Back to the mentors. There's a great gift for you here as well. This is not by any stretch a one-way relationship. When you have a protege looking at you, asking questions, it's challenging the way you think but you also get to see that guy or gal grow and flourish. Before I came here to Ellerslie, I was at a rural church um, just west of the city, and uh, if I wanted to have holidays, if I needed a Sunday off from preaching, I was in charge of finding pulpit supply. I was the only guy. And so there was a young adult who I thought, man, he seems like he's really comfortable on the platform. He seems like he loves Jesus. And I pulled him aside and I said, hey, would you mind if... um, I spent some time with you, and we talked about the Bible, and perhaps you even preached on a Sunday morning, and he was pretty intimidated, but he thought, yeah, that sounds kind of cool. 
And so we would open a passage of the Bible together. We would talk about the structure, the outline. We'd add some flesh to those bones. And I'd make him give me a manuscript ahead of time so I knew what he was saying. It'd help work him through some stuff. And then I got to sit in the back of the church while this man in his early 20s stood in front of our church family and he preached an incredible sermon. I think he did it three times while I was out there. There's great value in finding a protege. We start with find a mentor, find a protege. The third one, find a friend. In a recent article by Forbes, if you like statistics, this is fascinating. 40% of Americans say they don't have a meaningful friendship. 53% say they don't have anyone to talk to about serious matters in your life. What's interesting to me about that goes beyond that stat. It's saying that people who say they have friends don't actually have a friendship deep enough worth talking about real issues. Let me put that into some perspective. Two out of five of your coworkers don't have a friend. Every second parent you see while dropping off your kid at school doesn't have somebody to talk to about important things in life. Nearly half of the people you walk by at the grocery store, you sit with in hockey arenas, and are your neighbors, do not have a friendship of any worth of value. No one to celebrate with when they get a promotion. No one to ask questions of when they're struggling with how to raise their kids. No one to just talk to or go to a movie with. How are you doing? Do you have somebody to talk to? Do you have somebody that you can share life with? Where it's not just politics and sports, where you're actually talking about the things in life that matter most. In the first half of the passage, Paul is talking about Timothy. In the second half, he's talking about Epaphroditus. This is what we see in verses 25 and 26. I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Allow me to add some context to that. So the Apostle Paul has been in Philippi. He helped start the church. He helped to develop the people that were there. And after a couple of years, like he does with most churches, he eventually makes sure there's some good leadership and he moves on to the next place. Well, Epaphroditus was one of the guys that helped him start the Philippian church. And the Philippians recognize that as he goes on and he ministers in other places, he's going to need some financial help. He can't completely do this on his own and money helps make the world go round. And so they decide every single Sunday we're going to set aside a little bit of money and after about a year of doing this, we're going to send somebody to take all that money to Paul and to help him in whatever he's doing. That person is Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus travels from Philippi to Rome, which is 1,300 kilometers the way the crow flies. This is not hopping in the car and driving to Calgary in three hours. This isn't even boarding a flight and getting to Vancouver in 60 minutes. In the first century, the average person would travel about 30 kilometers a day. If you're not great at math, let me break it down for you. Including crossing part of the Mediterranean Sea, 45 days one way. Someone goes from Rome to Philippi and says, hey, did you guys hear that Epaphroditus is really sick? And I'm sure the Philippians sent something else to Paul on that second trip, but they said, we heard Epaphroditus is really sick. Minimum, absolute minimum that took three months. 
you have somebody who cares for you in that way. Our church has five values. One of those five values is courageous community. And me and a couple people on staff were saying, if we were to try to measure community, what would that look like? And so we decided we'd create a five-point scale. And so here's how it looks. Courageous community, one-point scale, I don't know anyone at church. I don't think that needs any explanation. Second, I have some acquaintances. I know a couple people's names. I can talk to them about the newest movie that came out or how the Oilers lost a devastating game to the Stars yesterday. I've got a few friends at church. We talk about stuff. We talk about life. We get to know one another. It's really good. I have at least one meaningful relationship. I can talk about how difficult it is to be single because it's breaking me apart inside and I don't know who to talk to. I can talk with somebody about how to raise kids. I can say I've got this issue with another person at work and I don't know how to deal with it. Five-point scale, I have a 2 a.m. friend. My wife wakes up with chest pains and I have to get her to the hospital. Who can I call at 2 a.m.? And I know they're going to be there for me. Going back to that initial question. How are you doing? Do you have somebody that you can talk to about real life? And if you're thinking, Dave, I don't, and I don't know what to do, three things really quick. Shoot me an email. You can email me at my email address is right there. The connect card is erbc.ca slash connect. And you might fill that up and say, you know, Dave's not my cup of tea, but man, I really like Lisa. I really like Pastor Mel. Russ is fantastic. Ask to talk with them. And we'll start you in that right direction. Second thing, Gabe um, was the guy who was giving announcements. Gabe's going to be working at the Connect booth. If you're thinking, I just want to know what's going on at the church. I want to know how to get involved. Go talk to Gabe. The Connect booth is right out this hallway. My sister, um, born and raised in Edmonton, 37 years old, I think, just left the city for the first time ever. She's traveled, but she's never moved away from the city. And she said, enough of Edmonton. I'm going to go to Vancouver. And so I, she's been there four months. I called her. I said, Chrissy, how are you doing? And she goes, Dave. Did you know that churches have programs to get people involved and to help them meet other people? I said, that's kind of my job. And she goes, this is fantastic. We want you to connect with others. And if you don't, I lose my job. So please do it, because it's really meaningful to me. <laughs> when I was putting this sermon together, I thought, okay, here's five ideas. I'll ask people to choose two. And then I said, no, 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 no. I want people to pick three. The next two things are really easy. But I thought, if people do all the easy stuff, they won't get that relationship part. When you think of find a mentor, find a protege, find a friend, maybe you already have this awesome. But if you don't, what can you do so that when you show up on Sunday mornings, you say, man, I love my church. I love coming to church because my friends are there. I want to invite other people to experience what I have. Youth group is great. My small group is great. The coffee house and bright lights is so special. Fourth thing, find a job. Our economy might be going through a bit of a slump, but there's always places to volunteer, right? 
Going back to verse 25, we read this. I think it's necessary to send back to Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. I find these words really interesting. He could have just said, I'm going to send Epaphroditus back to you and left it at that, but he doesn't. He goes on to describe who Epaphroditus is in relationship to him. Paul calls him a brother. Just like Timothy is not Paul's son, Epaphroditus is not Paul's brother. But he's saying, we do life together. And we feel close, just like family. He's a fellow worker. We get it. They've labored together to enhance the cause of Christ. That makes sense. But the next three words get me. My fellow soldier. This work cost him something. Epaphroditus nearly died. There's been financial and physical suffering, and Epaphroditus does it all for Jesus. He counted the cost and found the sacrifice worth the coming glory. Same quote that Mel used last week. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. It would be easy for me to sit here and say, okay, so get involved, serve, and just sugarcoat it. But let's be honest, serving means sacrifice. It has to. Because you're taking something on and you're giving something else up. That's sacrifice. If you're serving in kids' church, that means you're probably giving up coming to the worship service. That's a sacrifice. If you say, oh, Dave, I serve in kids' church one service and come to the worship service the second service, wonderful. You've now given up three-plus hours on your Sunday morning. It might be easy, but that's still a sacrifice. If you're on the worship team, you come on Thursday night, you rehearse, you come on Sunday morning, probably your day off at 7.45 a.m. That's a sacrifice. If you say, you know what, I'm going to get involved in bright lights this year. 1,200 people filling this church, I so want to be a part of that. You're giving up a Saturday right before Christmas. It's a sacrifice. But there's also a huge blessing. Kelsey was telling the staff last week, one of the kids' teachers had the, or two weeks ago, pardon me, had the privilege of leading two of his students to Jesus. So worthwhile. Kyle and Gabe are teaching our youth about baptism, and it sounds like a couple of the youth are saying, you know what, I've been thinking about this for a time, I'm all in. To see your students get baptized, absolutely worth it. To be involved in the community, maybe you're on your condo board, um, maybe you're serving in the parent-teacher association, maybe you're a soccer or hockey coach, and it opens the doors for conversations about Jesus. And it's hard work. But there is such value in sitting in that fireside room, having people explore what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Sacrifice is real. The rewards, out of this world. Find a mentor, find a protege, find a friend, find a job. Last thing, I love symmetry. Find a, uh, find a volunteer. You might say, like, isn't that the same thing? No, I just wanted to keep it symmetrical. Find a volunteer and thank them. Look at the last two verses today, verses 29 and 30. Paul writes, Welcome him, Epaphroditus, in the Lord with great joy, and honor men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give. I'll come back to this idea of honoring in just a minute, but I want to point something out that I think is really cool. Do you notice in verse 30 how Paul says, Epaphroditus almost died for the sake of Christ? Let's step back a little bit to get some context. 
The beginning part of chapter two is all about Jesus. The second part, mostly about us. The third part, which we're working on right now, about others. When Paul talks about Jesus in Philippians chapter two, verse eight, he says this, Jesus became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Looking at verse 30, what does it say? Epaphroditus almost died. He's writing to the church in Philippi, and he's saying, do you see how much Timothy and Epaphroditus look like Jesus? Do you see the mentoring and the friendships and the work that they are doing? Do you see how they are going beyond their limits to help us understand how unlimited the gospel is? Be like them. They are examples shining forth. I'm of the belief that every passage of Scripture points to Jesus. Not every verse, not every sentence, but every distinct teaching unit points to Jesus. If you ever want to talk to me about that, I'd love to. Here's how I think this passage points to Jesus. There's a Latin phrase, and you might be thinking, Dave, you're talking Latin. It's so simple, I think you'll be able to read it yourself. Do you got it? Jesus Christ as our example. He's the perfect example. We can read about him in the Gospels, be encouraged and inspired by his life and teaching. We can pray and ask the Holy Spirit to live more like him, but we don't actually get to see him right here in the flesh Or do we? Timothy and Epaphroditus do not replace Jesus' perfect example, but are showing us an example of what Jesus looks like. How does this passage point to Jesus? By saying, look at the people around you for the third time today. These are men and women who give us a glimpse of what Jesus looks like. Honor them. debated all week whether or not to share this next illustration. I didn't do it in the first service, but I'm going to do it now. My junior high youth pastor changed my life. So did my senior high youth pastor. And I'm not going to point him out because he's sitting in this room. But when we think about honoring those who have gone before us, I don't need to say your name because you know who you are. Thank you so much. FOP was great when I was in junior high. My youth pastor in senior high was awesome. You might say, like, Dave, it's a pastor's job to be there on Sunday mornings. It's a pastor's job to help lead the small groups on Tuesdays, to be there on Friday nights. And I'd say, yep, you're right, it is. But it's not his job to take us out for wings after. It's not his job to welcome us into his condo almost every week to spend hours and hours and hours talking with us, challenging us, and showing us what love looks like. I don't need to say your name because you know who you are. Thank you. You might say, Dave, why why would you do that? I don't know. (laughs) Maybe I'll get in trouble for it later. But I think this is why I did it. Maybe it was awkward for you in the room. Bet you it wasn't awkward for him. So if you're sitting here going, I'd like to do this. I'd like to find a volunteer, and I would like to thank them. Because my kids in grade five are being transformed by the kids teacher who's upstairs right now. Go and thank that kids teacher. 
Go and thank the youth leaders who are sitting with the youth right now for those men and women who hold the doors wide open on Sunday mornings, for the guys who are working in the tech booth. And maybe you just say thank you, but maybe you make it personal. Cassidy, thank you that when you lead us in worship, you do so with raised hands and excitement. Andrew, my, my boys love being a part of the youth group so much. Thank you for what you're doing. Tech team, we didn't notice you, and that's the biggest compliment we can give. Here's a $5 Tim's card. Because here's what happens. If we live out our lives like that, and if we take it seriously, you know what? I'm going to thank somebody. Every week I'm going to thank somebody different. And I'm going to find a volunteer. Then you know what? People will want to find jobs. People will say, I want to get involved in bright lights. I want to be on the worship team. Being on the board is an honor and a privilege. Man, seeing youth lives changed, how can I get involved in youth ministry? And then what happens? We find a friend. And we do ministry together. And we're in the small group together. And we talk about life together. And we wrestle with real life issues together. And then we think, you know what? I think I'm ready to mentor somebody. Or, you know, this has really helped me understand I really need a mentor. And lives are transformed because the people around us look like Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, on... Monday or Tuesday or whatever day of the week it was when I was looking at this passage and going, what is the teaching point? It was scary. But God, I thank you for this passage. I thank you that when we look at it, we see gospel partnerships and how it transforms lives. I thank you that we have the ability to be little Christs, to be Christians in the lives of others. So help us to serve you well wherever you put us. Help us to be great friends, whoever you place in front of us. And help us to be a church that lives with gratitude. We pray this in Jesus' name.